This is what it's supposed to be about first, middle, and last. It shames me to think of all the times where I've been preacher first, pastor first, when all we're ever supposed to be first is a child of God started with this. I was thinking over there, my mind went all the way back to the early 90s. I can remember getting up and going all the way to the front of the church, and it was all the way to, it was a big church. I can remember God just wrecking me in the pew. 
having to get up and go up front and just put my face in that carpet. And I got up from that place and didn't have no title or no job because that's where it was starting. And then down through the years, I'd get up from that carpet, wipe my knees off, try to straighten my tie because down through the years I acquired one somehow. And then I'd get up and go downstairs and me and Kitty would teach the youth class. We were youth pastors. Years kept going. And eventually I'd get my face off the carpet. It was on a platform. And it was 30 miles away from where it started and we were the pastors. And I'd get up, try to get my eyes unblurry, I'd look around, be half surprised that everybody was still there. And when my vision came all the way back, I could see that most of the rest of them looked just like I did. That's where it starts. That's where it's supposed to end. That's what we are first. If anything ever gets in front of that, that's when we start to get in trouble. So I'll just tell you, it won't matter to me how many people are in the room, who they are, what title they might have, how fancy they might be dressed. There'll be times where the worst would be gone. You might look around for the preacher and first thought will be, did you leave the room? And you'll be like, oh, nope. He's going to be laying up there somewhere on the floor. Because I've never forgotten. I don't deserve to be here. It'll be 30 years this November that I've had the Holy Ghost. That's hard to believe, ain't it, Mama? 30 years. And even after 30 years, sometimes I have to shake myself and look around because still can't believe I'm here. Still can't believe he let me in. <laughs> and he kept me. He kept me. He kept me. <laughs> There's been times in my adult life where my own dad didn't keep me. God kept me been times where people I just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt were going to be there until the rapture in my life. We're going to be side by side in the trenches. And they were always going to be there. And there's been times where I've watched them walk away. But he kept me. He'll keep you. And I can tell you from my own experience, he'll keep you even when you know you don't deserve to. That was a dirty trick, Beth, by the way. I asked her to learn that first song for my birthday, and she knows it's not till June. 
Well, you actually asked me like a year ago. I did. <laughs> I wasn't. Just be, let's tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> but I said it to her again. And I said, my birthday's coming in June, you know. Got any more you need to get out of you? All right. Hebrews chapter number four. Better make sure I got my phone ringer down. It will be me that has the phone ring in the middle of church. have something important today that I know will help somebody right now, I'd just let Beth sing two or three more, and we would quick go home. We don't come to church to, to have the three songs, the offering, the special, and the sermon. We come to church to make contact with God, and God will do that whenever He wants to. But I got something important to share today. And I got something that'll help you get to work if you work it. I'm gonna say that again. It'll work if you work it. I'm gonna start with verse number 12. And what I wanna to talk today about is a throne called grace. A throne called grace. Now, the first 11 verses of this chapter, chapter number 4, uh, the writer is talking about the rest that we have in God. That there is a place of rest. And, and what that means is, is it means a place of peace. There's a place of contentment. And it doesn't mean that, that all the vehicles will always run and all the checks will always be in the mail and, and things will always go the way we'd like to, but it does mean that there is a rest for the people of God. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about the difference between people that find that rest and people that don't. And he gets across the point that if we pursue that rest, if we'll stop doing things our way and do things God's way, that we can come to a place in life where we have most generally peace. And then he gets to verse number 12, and this is where it really starts to get in depth. I love this part. He says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, that word, word, first of all, is the same word, logos, that is used in John chapter 1, when the Bible says, In the beginning was the word, logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's the same exact Word. It's the same Word used in John chapter 1 and verse number 14 when it says, And the Word, Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, which we know they're referring to Jesus. So one verse says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, which tells us that Jesus wasn't God Jr., that He was God in the flesh. 
And it's the same exact word used right here. But now here, when it's talking about the word, it's talking about the God-spoken word, the word that we have right in front of us in the Bible that you can buy on Amazon or at the Dollar General even for just a few bucks. Same word. And it says this word of God is quick. That word quick means alive and it means lively. So if you're ever in a service and there's a preacher preaching and it's a dead service, it ain't the word's fault, it's the preacher's fault because that word is lively. And every one of us has been in a service where the preacher might start off kind of slow, but then something starts to happen as he starts to get more into the Word. He gets more lively. And the reason why is because that Word is alive, and as he's preaching that Word, the Word's coming through that person that's preaching, he or she. And then there's times where God will give revelation in the middle of a study, and you can see it in the preacher's eyes. He'll, he'll say something and be like, whoa, that's pretty good. I just, that just came to me. Now, one thing that I do, and I tease people and say that I keep a recorder to protect me in case of lawsuit. I have to tease about that. I'm sure it might happen one day when they make the Scripture hate speech. But until then, I do this because there are a lot of times when I'm preaching or teaching a word where God will give something right on the spot. And it will be revelatory word, a deeper understanding of a section of Scripture. And it will surprise me. I'll be like, whoa, wow, man, that was awesome. And the reason I say that is because God doesn't just leave us with ourselves to read this word. When we open up this book and start to share it, God pays attention. And this word is alive. What's cool about this, and, and I can prove to you, you can do a simple test at home to find out if it's alive. You can take one of the Bibles that you have scattered around the house. Most of us have a bunch of them, and we don't use all of them, but we got a lot of them. So take one of those that's sitting somewhere off in the corner, one you've forgotten about or stopped using back down the road. Open that joker up and set it somewhere. Find a coffee table that you don't really use. Open that Bible up and set that Bible on the table and watch and see if over the course of time the environment in that room don't start to change. Watch and see if somebody doesn't come up and say, why in the world you got the Bible open? Now, if it was a Home and Guards magazine open on the end table, they wouldn't say, why you got the magazine open? But this thing is alive all by itself. Now, I draw a lot of confidence from that because that means I can't mess it up when I share it with somebody if I stay in it because it's alive. That means once I hand this living word from me to you, I hand it to you, it's alive. You take this thing out of this building today, it stays alive. Especially if I'm teaching you a principle in here and teaching you how to apply that principle. If you take that living word and put it in your life and say, you know what, I'm going to try that principle that he shared in church Sunday. I'm going to put this thing to work. I'm tired of hearing this preacher say, if you work it, it'll work. And then you take that thing and you start to apply that principle. You'll see it bring that area of your life to life. It's alive. And the other thing, it's just cool too, it says the Word of God is alive, it's lively, and it's powerful. Now that word powerful comes from a word energase. And what it means is, this word is operative, it is effectual. Reminds me of a scripture that says a fervent uh, prayers of a righteous man are effectual. They have 
effects. What it means is when a righteous person, somebody that's trying to live by this book, will pray, it will have an effect somewhere. It doesn't give us a timeline. It just tells us if we keep praying, if we keep trying to do right, then sooner or later it's going to have an effect in our life. That's the same word used for powerful. That means this word, if you take something from this word, doesn't matter what area of your life you apply it to. If you find a principle in there that covers your finances, if you find one that covers your relationship with your spouse or with your children or with your parents, the people that say life doesn't come with a manual have never read the Bible. Life comes with a manual. So when you learn a principle in this book, no matter what area of your life that it covers, if you apply that principle, this same book guarantees itself that it will have an effect in your life. That's why I say that it takes all the pressure off the preacher when the preacher can grab a hold of this because this thing is alive by itself. That's why 99.9% of the time my method of sharing this word is not to read one verse from the Old Testament, one from the New, and then give 45 minutes of my opinion. My opinion uh, might be loud, but it's not alive. It might be effectual in giving you a headache after a few minutes, but it's not alive all by itself. If I stay in this book, I'm guaranteed that if you will take this from here and put it to work, that it'll work in your life, regardless of where you are in your life, who you are in your life, or what's going on back at home. It's guaranteed to work if we work it. So this Word of God, it's alive, it's lively, it is operative, it's effectual. That word operative, I like that one. I'm a word nerd. You all know that by now. That word operative is really cool too. That means this book will operate <laughs> on an area of your life. That's why I'm so glad to live in the age we live in, man. I mean, anybody can be a Bible scholar just about. You can get on your, your smartphone or your dumb phone, whatever brand you got, and you can Google search a, a topic or an area of your life and say, what does the Bible have to say about? And put that area in there, and it'll pull up all the verses you want to find on that area of your life. And every one of them will work. They will operate on that area of our life if we put them to work. So, it's alive, it's operative, it's effectual, and then, I'm glad it tells the whole truth about itself, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And what that means is, is, sooner or later, this word is guaranteed to cut. The difference between the way this word cuts and the way a natural sword in the world would cut is nobody wields a sword in the world without the intent to kill something and to kill it completely dead. When the word of God is wielded as a sword, there are times it will cut. But what it will do is cut off the things in our personality or our character or our life that are causing areas of our life to be dead from the blessings of God. And it will cut that part off. And when it cuts, I'm telling you, man, sometimes it will hurt. You'll sit there feeling like, oh, man, is he even like me? <laughs> How is that going to help me? And I remember when I first started out, when we made a deal, three months we were going to give God an 
and we were going to find out if he was real. And so we would take this book in after we got one. I still don't remember where we ever rounded one up. My dad probably gave us one. And we would take this thing in, and he would get to preaching. And I don't remember how many services in a row. I was mad, but I was mad most of the time. And I, there was times we would leave or walk out the back when they would say, close your eyes. Man, I was like, that's a dumb boy. Would a preacher do that? Because as soon as he would tell everybody, buy your head and close your eyes, me and Kitty zoop right out the door. I thank you for the escape. And we would get on the porch of that building and start yelling right then. I'd say, I can't believe you called that preacher last week and told him everything I was doing. And she would be even madder than I was, look back at me and say, I didn't call him, you did. Then we'd argue all the way to the car, all the way out the parking lot, all the way home. But before we got home, we did agree on one thing. We wasn't ever going back to that church again. Ain't that right? Yeah. Well, guess what happened? By the time next Sunday rolled around, guess whose car was the first one in the parking lot? And the reason why was because after we cooled down and knew that we didn't call that preacher, we realized there's only one way that guy could be talking about stuff that I've been doing, and that's if that dude really did talk to God, and God really did talk to him about me. Now, it's not a lot of fun when it happens, but we were honest enough to realize and admit what were we looking for anyway. We weren't trying to go to church just to say if we were going to church. We were trying to go to church to find out if God was real and if He would work in our life. And if He was real and work in our life, it would just make sense that He would talk to the preacher about stuff we were going through. I didn't need Him to talk to me about stuff these guys were going through or the stuff these guys were going through. I needed that word to go spoof like that. And we admitted it somewhere before next Sunday, not always right away. Over the years, my style that I like to hear, I love to go somewhere and have somebody beat me half to death. And the reason why is because 95% of the stuff you hear, it don't do none of that. And I know I ain't all that. No, I ain't got it together like that. I mean, thank you very much for doing this to me. But after Sunday, after Sunday, after Sunday, after Sunday, this right here, I'm like, dude, <laughs> how about something that's going to deal with the stuff that I know I'm dealing with that I need to get better at? And I've realized over the years that for me, I like to go somewhere where I know at least once in a while I'm going to get stepped on and booted a little bit. I remember when we were deciding... To make our way back to God, all of you know at one time or another, I'm sure I've said around all of you, that there was a time where uh, we turned our backs on God. And when we started making our way back, we, we wasn't going nowhere close, but like that. And so uh, we wound up out in Rogersville at a Greater Vision Ministries out there. And we went in and we sat in the back row. <laughs> and, and somehow they knew who we were. You know, there ain't nothing like an apostolic Holy Ghost hotline. Uh, but they knew who we were, and we sat on the back, and from the very first Sunday, and I don't know, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, all I could do was sit in the back row and just weep. I didn't cry during the worship, but as soon as that guy got up and started preaching, I'd start crying, because somehow, that brother Marshall would go, bam, 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 and I'm just sitting in the back, stop! And I realized, guess what? At that time in my life, that was exactly what I needed. And I can say, I'm glad that he was a man that when he got the hard stuff 
and he knew it was going to hit me upside my head because after a little while he knew where I was that he didn't step back and say, oh man, if I say this, they're going to get, oh, I don't know. No, he'd get up there and just let it rip and then fall wherever God let it fall. And we're here all these years later still trying to do something for God. And I can tell you, if I'd have walked into a place and all they would have done right here when I was so far away from God in here, it wouldn't have helped me and we probably wouldn't be here today. So having said that, that word sometimes, it, it tells us, it gives us fair warning. It's a two-edged sword. But the reason it cuts is not for our bad. It's for our good. Because sometimes we need stuff cut away. And sometimes we need the word to cut through our defenses, through the walls, through the closed doors, and get right down where the problem really is. The problem that only us and God and our spouse sometimes may know about. Look, it tells us ourselves. It says, the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it tells why. It tells what it does. Piercing to the dividing asunder. Now, you, know, you are probably familiar with that word where it says what God has put together, let, let not man uh, put asunder. Talking about marriage between uh, a man and a woman. So when you get married in, in, in God, you, you better stay married in God. Don't let man destroy that thing. It's the same word right here. And it says this word will pierce. Now, now think about that. When we think about a sword, we don't think about piercing. When it says it's a two-edged sword. It usually means that you know a sword, we think of it going down like this. But in order for a sword to pierce, when something pierces something, it's straight through. So you see the picture that the word's painting of how that word, it doesn't go hot, you know, like Peter did with that dude's ear in the garden. It ain't doing that. It's going like this, to pierce. And what it wants to pierce is to pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, on the surface, that's pretty confusing. But when you do the word study with that fancy uh, Bible study program, which we still need to give. Beth, did you not download that on the internet? Oh, yeah, we got to get the techno guy over there. Because it can be downloaded on the internet right on your laptop. Oh, we'll get it taken care of. When you do the word study on here, it's dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That's not like, what? What in the world is that? What's the difference? The soul is the place of my good. The soul is what is filled with the Holy Ghost. When God comes in, God fills us and He fills our soul with His Spirit. The Spirit, you know the term a strong-spirited child, a high-spirited child? That's usually the kid that's going zing, 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 up and down the walls, down the hallways. That usually turned out to be a preacher, but high-spirited child. That Spirit, the word there, means my will. So, hear it again. The word pierces to the dividing asunder of what is my good, my soul, and what is my will, my spirit. That's what that word will do. So that's why there's times where we know what we want to do, and we know what we should do, and then, just like Paul said, the things I know I should do, I don't do. The things that I shouldn't do, I do. And then he described himself, how he felt about it. Oh, wretched man that I am. He said, I'm a wretch. And then he said, who's going to deliver me from this? And you know what Paul said? Paul said, he's going to deliver me from this, but it ain't going to be until he delivers me from all this, until we're out of here. 
So we're not always going to have the same intensity of the struggle between what we know is right and what is wrong, but there will always be a struggle, even if it's really small. And that's why this Word says that when the Word of God is presented in its pure form with nothing added, which it doesn't need anything added, when it's presented in its purest form, that Word will pierce right through. And when you're struggling to do the right thing, but find yourself mostly doing the wrong thing, that's why, if you'll notice, the times where you're most convinced that, by golly, I've got it now, I know what I need to do, and I'm going to do this, and the reason you feel so strong in the house of God is because this word just got inside of you and went Broop. and that good part of you is the one that's behind the driver's seat you see behind the driver's seat that put you in a back seat wouldn't it behind the steering wheel yeah that's a better place to be right the good part of you spent too much time in the back seat it needs to be behind the steering wheel so that's why in the house of God that you feel that way sometimes. You'll feel your strongest, the most encouraged. Like, man, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. Because that word, now notice, I want to I point this out, this is important. Notice that nowhere in there does this say the priest word does this. See, you know what that means? That means if when we're in here and the word's being preached and the light bulb's on and we're like, hey, that makes sense, by golly, I got it. Because it's being shared verbally, that means when I'm having that struggle, if I'll pull this thing out at home and find the right spot, because you're right, a lot of times a lot of it does seem Chinese, but if I'm having my struggle at this season in a certain area, say it's with my finances, right? And I'll go home and I can do the word search on finances in the scripture and pull them up and start to read through them. What will happen if I stay with it is that pretty soon that strong part of me, the soul part of me that wants my good will become stronger even when I'm home and it will be behind the steering wheel. I thank God it's not just when we come and hear somebody share it verbally. Thank God we can sit down with it and it can give us that strength that we need. Yes. So, piercing the dividing asunder of my good and my will. And also, it doesn't stop there. Look at this. Of the joints and marrow. Okay, look. We know good and well that the Word of God, it might feel like that sometimes, but we know it's got no interest in our joints and marrow. What this is, is this is a word picture from God Himself to us to tell us how intimate this Word will get to us. You, you cannot separate things any much further down than the joints in your body and the marrow. I mean, after that, you're talking about atoms, right? I mean, that's all you're talking after that. So this is God's Word picture to let us know that that Word will saturate us. It'll get in our lives and start dividing stuff on its own if we give it full access. Now, this is a cool part of this verse too, because I know this is what Beth spoke on last week. Uh, it says this Word is a discerner. And that word discerner means a reader, an understander. Whoa, hold it. I thought we read the Word. Guess what? We read the Word and the Word reads us. That's why sometimes even during the preaching, 
You know, that word will get to feeling like the, that it's reading us or we'll have something on our mind or something we've been dealing with and we didn't tell the preacher, we didn't tell whoever it was that was sharing the word and all of a sudden they'll come across it and right in the middle even, I know I'm not the only one that's been in a service where the preacher's preaching about a particular topic and then all of a sudden he goes on to something and he got nothing to do with what he's talking about but I guarantee you nine times out of ten when that happens, Whatever it is, he's jumping off all this to get on, whether it's for 30 seconds or 5 minutes. There's somebody in that congregation that's been dealing with that very thing and been saying, God, I need a word about this. And you'll even see the preacher sometimes like, well, I don't know what all that was about, but let's get back to what I was supposed to be teaching on. That's because the word itself is a reader and an understander of the thoughts and intents for the heart. Whoa. Okay. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's more deceitful than the devil. Well, all things. And it's desperately wicked. That means it's not just wicked. It's desperate to be wicked. Talking about my heart. One of the worst things you can ever make a decision on is following your heart. One of the worst things you can ever make a decision on without consulting the Word of God about is a matter of the heart. Because all of us have lived long enough to know that the heart will fool you. That's why there's people that, that wind up in marriages that are disasters and everybody else said it's going to be a disaster. They don't do this. Please don't do this. And, and we got mad. I'm talking about me. We got mad because they told us not to. They got mad because we wouldn't listen. And then somewhere down the road it's like, oh my God, this is a disaster. And the reason why is because we follow the heart. We think that we can trust our heart and we cannot. It's desperately wicked. Then that verse of Jeremiah ends with, who can know it? Well, guess what? We just found out that the Word of God can know it. It can read the thoughts and intents of the heart. I can't do that with my own. You can't do that with your own. You can hear it and you can feel it and you can know what it's telling you, but you can't tell if it's telling you a lie or not. The Bible says so. But this Word... Say, how in the world does the Word read and understand the thoughts and intents of my heart? Well, the way that it'll do, one way that it'll do that is if we have a big decision coming up. Let's say we have a decision, oh, well, like these people, this, this David Binns that I asked you to pray for. Uh, he's making a decision on moving. He knows he wants to move. He doesn't know if he wants to move around Knoxville. He doesn't want, know if he wants to move around here. He doesn't know. He's making a big decision. Well, if he comes to a decision without consulting God, he's going to make a decision based on what his heart says. He can very easily make the decision, I want to move to the Kingsport area because I like Arliss. Me and Arliss are cool. I think it would be okay at Arliss's church. And if he makes his decision based on that, he can get here and find out God didn't want him here and his whole life would be miserable. But if he'll stay in this word and seek God. Remember, this word for word is the same one that describes God Himself in John chapter 1. So, when it talks about this word being a discerner, a reader, an understander of the thoughts and intents of the heart, it doesn't just mean this one. It also means this one. 
So if we talk to him, Lord, I really feel pretty strong about making this move right here. I mean, it all looks good. Everything's falling into place. Even look, you know, we fleeced. It looks like the fleeces fell where they were supposed to. But God, if this ain't what I'm supposed to do, tell me. And God will. Because he doesn't want you doing something he doesn't want you to do. Right. Doesn't want you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, surely makes sense. <laughs> Neither is there any creature not manifest in his sight. Now, that's why if we come to church long enough, guess what? We don't ever have to talk to the preacher. We don't have to tell him anything going on in our life. But sooner or later, that preacher, if he's in tune with God, is going to get to hitting on something in a sermon sooner or later that's going to hit a bullseye right in the middle of stuff that we ain't told nobody, we ain't told the preacher, we ain't told anybody that we're dealing with this. And here comes the word, boom, 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 a bullseye. And it's because God, the Word, sees everything and everybody. Now, I like that in particular because it tells me that my job, like Jesus said, is not to pull the tares from the wheat. That's not my job at all. The Word already knows who the tares are. The Word knows who the weed are. And that's God's job to make the differentiation. And the Word will do that. All things are naked and open under the eyes of Him. See what's cool? We started out and the Word was it. Now, the Word is a Him. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Well, it means is God sees everything and everybody. So I can come to church because, well, it'll be, it'll be trouble at home if I don't. It's just easier to come to church. And that can be my only motivation. Or I can come to church because I lost a bet. I can have all the wrong reasons for coming to church. But it doesn't matter. God sees me and knows where I am with Him. That's why I, I never judge where anybody is in their relationship with God. Now, I will tell you this. The idea that we're not to judge anybody, that's false doctrine. The Scripture's full and tells people of God are to judge everything. We're supposed to be wise judges. We're going to be judges when we get our reward. There's a difference between judging a fruit, judging a tree by the fruit, and condemning. Now, when people use the word judge and mean condemn, we don't do that. But we also don't pretend that an apple's not an apple when an apple keeps falling off the tree. It's an apple tree. I don't care if the apple says, I'm an orange tree, I'm an orange tree, I'm an orange tree. It's not mean to say, dude. I mean, you might want to be an orange tree, but you got nothing but apples on that tree, brother. I mean, you're an apple tree. You can be an orange tree, maybe, but right now you're, you're kind of growing apples. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not our job to condemn anybody. And Bible says every servant will answer to their own master. So I got one job. My job's coming here, share this. My job's to pray, to fast, to help in any way I can, to be a servant. Period. Period. The church is supposed to be an upside down pyramid, and the minister, the word minister means servant. It's supposed to be an upside-down pyramid with the preacher. Guess where he is in the real church? The bottom of the pyramid. It's not like this with the preacher being the king on top of the pile in the pyramid. That's not the Bible model. So, my job's easy. Share this in a way you can understand. 
tell you how to apply it and love you all the way through it. Where you go with that is entirely up to you. And God is our judge. And He's a righteous judge. He's a merciful judge. He's a patient judge. If He wasn't, I wouldn't be here to share nothing with you. All right. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. You see what He did? Do you see? See, God... God equates this Word, this Bible, with Jesus. He moves interchangeably in the same conversation, talking about this Word that was given to us, and just keeps talking, and now we know because He said high priest, and now He's talking about Jesus. When you have this Bible, you have the Word of God. You have Jesus' will for your life. It's right here in the book. The Spirit of God will never tell you to do anything that violates anything written in this book. I don't care if you woke up and it looked like an angel standing in your bedroom and he dropped a tablet on your on your lap like he did Mr. Smith way back a long time ago, supposedly. If he tells you something that's directly against what's written in his book, it wasn't God's. Right. And it's not the will of God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest passed into the heavens. And then it tells us who that is. Jesus, the Son of God. Look what it tells us to do. Hold fast our profession. Now, I will say, even though the apostolic faith is full of professionals, that's not what this is talking about. We're never to get to the place, no matter how good we get it, whatever our function is in the kingdom, where we are so smooth, we're a professional. Because when you get professional, you squeeze out the Spirit of God. I'm talking about in the church, okay? So we're to hold fast our profession. What does that mean? That means that I'm serving God and it's settled. That means Jesus is my God. That's settled. It means I'm going to keep trying until I get better. And that's settled. We hold fast our profession. Because for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. This is a humongous verse. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That word infirmities, it means weaknesses, sicknesses, and diseases. That's the literal definition of that word infirmities. And this says our high priest, who had just told us is Jesus, is touched by the feeling of our infirmity. That's not an extra word. That means, Lord, when you've been feeling what you've been feeling and what you shared with us today, right? When you've been feeling this, this weakness and you shared that, even though you can't feel Him while you're feeling weak, this verse just said, He doesn't just know that you're feeling weakness right now. He's not just touched by it. In the South, you can say, oh, I'm, I was touched by that. And what that means is it hit an emotional part of your heart. You felt some emotion over that. You felt that for somebody. But what this says is that Jesus has been touched with the feeling of what you've been fighting, Lori. So even though this Savior, and this encourages me when I'm going through things like this, that even though I go through seasons where He feels like He's way out there, it's like, do you even know I'm here right now, God? I can't feel you. It'd be nice to have a touch, and I'm not getting that. This Bible tells us that He is feeling exactly what I'm feeling. So then, there's no more of a question, does He even know where I am? He does. Now, 
Why is he not lifting this off of me right now? I don't know. I wish he would. But I know that he will because somewhere else in the Bible it says he won't let more be put on us than we can bear without making a way out. And that way out is to a place of strength. So even though you've been fighting this all this time, you need to understand according to that book, he's felt every bit of that that you felt. And he's still here. He ain't gone nowhere. He ain't like people. He won't walk away when things get tough. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Preachers will. Churches will. Family will. Jesus won't. Touched by the feeling of my weaknesses. So then I don't have to be ashamed. Touched by the feeling of my sicknesses and my diseases. So I'm not alone, even though I feel alone. That, that, that boggles my mind to consider that Jesus would feel what I'm feeling. Not just when I'm doing good, not just when I'm worshiping the way He deserves, but He would feel what I'm feeling when I'm feeling like He shouldn't have anything to do with me anymore. They would feel what I'm feeling when I'm feeling like I don't deserve to be in this thing. That he would feel all that and keep me. And yet he does. And the reason this high priest is touched with the feeling of our infirmities is because he was in all points tempted like we are, yet when he was, it was without sin. Now, that's not put in there to make us feel bad because when we are, it's with sin. That's put in there to let us know that we've had a sacrifice made for us that was spotless and sinless, the only one that could be accepted. So when we go through this, we can call on Him and still be okay with Him. And then this is the last one. This is the cornerstone. Because of all this, because we have a high priest who's touched with a feeling of all of our weaknesses, sicknesses, low points, depressions, failures. See, I would think that if God Almighty was touched by my failures, that that would mean, okay, I need to stay over here and get it right before I come to Him. That's what I would think. And before I learned any better, that's what I thought. I thought, man, I really blew it this time and there ain't no excuse for it. I blew it. I need to stay over here and get my house in order before I come to... You know, that's why a lot of people won't go anywhere near an altar. It is. I've been in apostolic churches and, and preached a message and not known anybody in that place and can tell by somebody's face that God was going bing, 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 bing and then make the altar call and feel God just pulling for them and have a whole congregation come up except. And the reason why is because in our human minds, if I got this a wreck over here and I did it and I can't blame it on nobody, it's my fault and I got it messed up, in my human mind, I need to get this fixed before I come to Him because I've messed it all up. Yes! And right here is your power verse, Lori, that's going to help you through this. I promise you, this right here. And this is the one you read out loud. And if you can't read it out loud, Lori, you read it in your head. 
because of the fact that he's touched with my failures and my weaknesses, let us therefore, look at this, come boldly to the throne. Okay, that would blow my mind if he just said come to the throne. I'd be like, hold up a minute. Man, if, if, if I blew something with our finances, or, or blew something with our animals or our vehicles or did something stupid that made our life harder as a married couple and a family, the last thing I'm thinking is I'm not wanting to go over there yet. She felt that because nothing I do, there's nothing I do that does not affect my wife. We're one. There is no, this is the man's and this is, no, it don't work that way. Not in God's eyes. Right. People might set their marriages up like that where they got their own departments, but guess what? In God's eyes, these two shall become one. So any area I get off the kilter is going to affect her some way and she's going to feel that. And when I do something to make her feel bad, the first thing I don't have in my mind is, you know what, I'm going to go up there and just give her a hug because I messed things up so bad. What? Uh-uh. Better come up with a plan first, Stan. And then still it might be a minute before you get a hug because you messed up and it hurt her. And here we got the Word of God. <laughs> That says when I mess up and hurt him, then not only, Nelson, does it tell me, it doesn't ask me to. That's a command. That's not a suggestion or if you want to. Let us, therefore. It means do it. When I hurt him, I'm to come to the throne. That part blows my mind, but it says to come boldly. Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. Man, I'll come to the throne boldly after I've fasted every fast day that I'm supposed to, after I've prayed the way I'm supposed to every day for a couple weeks, after I've gotten my study in every day and not missed a day. Then I'll come boldly. You see the way our mind works? And that really is the way our mind works. There's My wife can't pray over the offering without getting choked up. And there are times when she'll tell me, I, I just ain't where I need to be in God. And I'll be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm doomed. <laughs> I call her Polly for a reason. Polly Kierhart. I'm not, y'all ain't old enough to know anything about underdog and his girlfriend. Never mind. Google it. Polly Kierhart. And that's what I call her. But that's how we can get the feeling. Because in our mind, I can come to that throne. I don't go there at all until I got it all together. But I sure ain't going up there boldly. When you go up there boldly, you don't go up there with your head down crawling and getting on the floor. That's not bold. Bold is you throw your shoulders back and you look him right in the eyeball and you approach him straight on, man to God, and you come to that throne. That takes courage. And that takes confidence. But you know what? If I'm supposed to do that when I've messed it all up then, and that takes confidence, who's my confidence supposed to be in there? Well, it can't be in me. Because it's telling me when I've heard him to come boldly. That takes confidence. So guess who my confidence must have to be in in order... Uh, (laughs) It's got to be in him. And look, every one of us today, we know if we look back down the road and know that we're still here and have the chance to worship God after some of us 
I've done some of the things we've done. I've been some of the places I can't speak for nobody else, but I know where I've been before God. That gives me confidence. When I stand up here and tell you guys I don't deserve to be here, man, I'm telling you I don't deserve to be here. But since he's going to let me, I reckon I might as well stay, Nelson. <laughs> if he's going to let me lift my hands, I might as well. If he's going to let me come to the altar, I might as well. If he's going to let you the girl sing a song and ambush me and get tears in my eyes, guess what? I ain't trying to lock him back. I might as well. And then here's the, the, the coolest thing. This is the last part. Because we did something to hurt him, <laughs> that bothers my mind. Let us come boldly to the throne. Then it says, what kind of throne? Throne of grace. Old preacher said one time that, that mercy is the bad stuff we deserve that we don't get. Grace is the good stuff we don't deserve that we do get. I got a whole bunch of grace. My marriage is grace. I got a whole bunch of it. I look around my life and I see all kinds of stuff I don't deserve. And we got two choices when that happens. We can either say, I'm fake. They don't know who I am. She don't know me or else she wouldn't be married to me. I don't deserve to be married to her. I don't deserve to have this good life. So you know what? I'm not. I'm just going to be honest about who I am and I'm just not going to do it anymore. Or we can say, I know why I got good stuff in my life I don't deserve. It's because there is a throne of grace. And this word says to come to that throne. Hear it like it reads. Come boldly to the throne of good stuff you don't deserve. Woo! Man, it'd be an awful little throne if I could only come to the throne of stuff I do deserve. I'd be looking around here like somebody got a magnifying glass. God's got a whole bunch of stuff that I don't deserve, and it's in my life anyway. Because I read about that throne of grace, and all that means I can come to God and I can say, Hey, God! It's me again! And I blew it worse today than I did yesterday, but I know you already know that because the Bible says you felt me when I did it. And I'm sorry about that, God. And I really need help with it. But Lord, if you got some good stuff I don't deserve here today, I'll take it. <laughs> and when that happens in your life, you don't get tore up about carnal stuff. You can live in a little single wide so small you can't help but be affectionate. <laughs> I can't help but get a moose just walking down the hallway in a single wide. <laughs> Standing in the kitchen floor and you walk on one spot and he goes whoop and you walk on the other and you're a little bit taller. And guess what? Don't care. Because <laughs> the life is filled with good stuff I don't deserve. And then look, when God blows your mind, He ain't just happy to blow your mind. He likes to blow your mind and wait for you to get a grip on it and blow it one more time. Look at this. Approach boldly the throne of grace that we may obtain... What? I thought it was the throne of grace. It says to go to the throne of grace. I'm thinking when I get to the throne of grace, well, you know, I'm not very smart, but I kind of thought I'd, well, I'd get grace. Well, I will. But God's not going to be outdone. He says, when you come to this throne of good stuff you don't deserve while you're here, all that bad stuff you know you do deserve, guess 
so I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to take that away. There God is. says, come on up here and get a bunch of stuff you don't deserve. And while you're up here, I'm, you know, all that stuff you know you deserve, I'm just going to go ahead and wipe that out of the way. And it's for a specific purpose. Look. Approach boldly the throne of grace, good stuff we don't deserve, that we may obtain mercy, that God will take the bad stuff we do deserve, and give us more good stuff we don't deserve. Oh, now this ain't about the new car. And good stuff we don't deserve to help in time of need. So that means when I need help from God and know I don't deserve it, God said, come on up here anyhow. It ain't got nothing to do with whether you deserve it. I want to help you. See the girl? <laughs> so, we started out with all. <laughs> And I like it that way. Well, what we're going to do right now, one thing I never do, two things I never do in an altar call. One thing I never do is say, everybody come. All that does is, I don't know, make the preacher feel better because somebody came. I don't like it when I'm in a congregation and they do that. I'm... A big boy, I know when I need to come to the altar, and I will. I'll come in the middle of the preaching. So that's one thing I never do. The next thing I never do is I don't spend 20 minutes begging people to come after I've spent 40 minutes trying to share the word with them. What I will do today is I will tell you that according to this Bible in your lap or on your phone, there is a throne right here today it's the throne of good stuff you don't deserve and if you'll come to this throne today and you say God here I am don't deserve it you said I can have it so I'm on it and you'll come today God will give you that good stuff you don't deserve and he'll give you mercy take away what you do deserve and then he wants to sink it in your spirit that this good stuff you don't deserve, what would that be? Well, that'd be what you're feeling on your heart when you get up here. And you know deep down inside, if God was fair, you wouldn't be feeling nothing. <laughs> I know what that feels like. He gives you that good stuff you don't deserve for a time where you are in need. Not a time when you've blown it out of the water and hit a home run and done it awesome and deserve to have it and in the time of need. So I'm going to ask you today if you need to come to the throne of grace it's here and I will be happy to pray with you and ask God to do what it is you need Him to do. So if you need to come I'm going to ask you to come. <laughs>